the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Mark. Am I, am I the thorny soil? Am I the rocky soil? Am I the soil along the path? Am I the I hope on the good soil? Hope on the good soil. And everybody gets round up, wound up around the axle, trying to put themselves in this parable and thinking, I, I, I wonder which soil I am. Am I saved or not? And if you read it from that vantage point, then you have reason to be concerned. But if you look at it instead as perhaps a parable where Jesus was simply talking about fruitfulness then uh, we can all see ourselves in every condition here. Today's message covers a fairly recognizable passage of Scripture, Jesus' parable about the seeds and the sower, and the type of ground where fruit tried to grow. Many people look at this passage from a standpoint of salvation. Who becomes a Christian and why, or why not? It may stick with them. But today, Pastor Gary wants to offer a different perspective, one that will have you examining your own life. Pastor Gary will ask you to look at the fruit of your personal relationship with Christ. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Mark chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. It says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Knesseret. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. So this is one of many parables Jesus would often teach in parables. It would serve to bring spiritual understanding to deep truths. And he would use everyday occasions and everyday things in order to illustrate deep spiritual truth. In this occasion, he's talking about farmers and sowing of seeds, and, and it falls on different kinds of soil. And this is an agrarian culture at the time. This, they're, they're about farming and livestock, so this would have been very familiar to his hearers, the, this terminology about farming and seeds and soil and all of this. And uh, so as he says this much, he just kind of leaves it there, 
And then Jesus adds, verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And, but he doesn't interpret it at this point. And so verse 10 says that when he was alone, the 12, his, his own apostles, and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. It's a very challenging thing that Jesus says there. It's difficult even to interpret, to understand. Really, what he's saying is to those who have an ear to hear and those who have hearts that are receptive to the things of the Lord, these things are spoken in parables. But to others who don't have a heart receptive to the things of the Lord, they sound more like riddles. And they, and they are difficult to understand, and they don't have ears to hear, and they don't have a heart that receives. Otherwise, they might turn and repent and uh, turn and believe and, and be forgiven. Uh, but they are unwilling. And so Jesus says, basically, that the parables are for those who have hearts and ears to hear and believe. And, and yet his own disciples weren't quite sure what all the language means. And so they ask him privately why he teaches in parables. And then Jesus is going to interpret this parable for us. So this is one of a few parables that thankfully Jesus will just tell us plainly and he interprets for us. And so beginning in verse 13, uh, here's the interpretation. But it begins with uh, somewhat of a, a challenge, I suppose. Maybe rebuke is too hard of a word. But he says to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Okay, if you don't get this, you're not going to get anything else that I say. Which, by the way, when you look at what the remaining parables are in the, in the, in the fourth chapter, particularly of, of Mark, he's telling us that, that this parable is going to set the tone in terms of language and terminology to help us understand the other parables. So keep that in mind. So he says, if, if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand the others. And then he interprets it, verse 14, the farmer sows the word. Notice. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word... They quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit for those of you who like to take notes. Uh, we, we know certainly a few things here. First of all, there are four types of soil in this parable. He talks about soil along the path. He talks about rocky soil, thorny soil, and good soil. And he tells us in the parable that all four soils receive the seed, but only one is fruitful. So that's important to the story as well. And then he clearly interprets the seed as being the word. He says it first in verse 14 when he interprets all of this. He says the farmer sows the word. And the parable, he says the farmer sows the seed, but when he interprets it, he says the farmer sows the word. And then throughout the verses, throughout the remaining discussion concerning the soils, he talks about the word throughout. 
The word goes forth, the word goes forth, the word goes forth, but how it is received, how it is perceived, how it is believed is another matter altogether. So this much we know. There are four soils, four types of soils. All four soils receive the seed, that is the word, but only one is fruitful. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky because there are different interpretations at this point. Is Jesus talking here about those who are saved or not saved by virtue of the fact some receive the word and it takes root and it bears fruit uh, and others are not saved at all? And then if you interpret it that way, it means that really in the four scenarios, only one out of the four scenarios is actually saved. And that would be the last one, the, the good soil, where the the word was the seed was planted and it took root and it bore fruit. And, and so if you interpret it from that angle, then and you and you believe that Jesus is saying there are some who are saved and some who aren't, and the reason why some aren't saved, and he goes into a description here about the about the bad soil condition, then this is a parable about salvation, who's saved and who's not saved. Or if you interpret it as frankly I interpret it, I don't see it as a as a salvation parable. It could be. Uh, this is, uh, you know, not a. <laughs> this will be settled when we get to heaven, and then Jesus can interpret it correctly. But I think when you look at it broken down, it's really a parable about fruitfulness. It's not. It, you know, I think too many Christians spend unnecessary amount of time when they read a parable like this, trying to figure out what soil am I? Am I, am I the thorny soil? Am I the rocky soil? Am I the soil along the path? Am I the guy? Hope I'm the good soil. Hope I'm the good soil. And everybody gets round up, wound up around the axle trying to put themselves in this parable and thinking, I, I, I wonder which soil I am. Am I saved or not? And if you read it from that vantage point, then you have reason to be concerned. But if you look at it instead as perhaps a parable where Jesus was simply talking about fruitfulness, then uh, we can all see ourselves in every condition here. And so in, in that way, uh, breaking it down, the four soils, what we do know based on what Jesus interprets here, whether or not this is a parable about salvation or about fruitfulness, there are some things that are certainly clear in here. And one of them is this. When he interprets it, he tells us that Satan is actively working to hinder fruitfulness in your life. That's one thing he makes clear because he he says in verse 14, the farmer sows the word. In verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, again, I'm going to be giving you these points from the standpoint of fruitfulness versus salvation. So some would say, well, some some hear the word, but they don't get saved because Satan snatches it from them. You know, this is where I have trouble with this interpretation being salvation because now you've just given more power to Satan than you have the word of God. The word, you mean Satan has that power that he actually can steal the word that he, he's more powerful than the word that goes forth? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that we are saved through believing the word. Now it is the response of the person whether or not to believe and receive, but to say that Satan can prohibit salvation, we've then ascribed more power to Satan than we have the word. So the word goes forth. Now it's in the hearts and hands of people to either believe and receive or to reject. But nevertheless, when you look at this from the standpoint of fruitfulness, which I think is the better interpretation, it clearly does state at the very least that Satan will come and try to do all he can to make us less fruitful in our lives. He will come to tempt. He will come to distract 
He will come to try to cause us to fall by tempting us, hoping that we will give in to that temptation so that our life will be less fruitful because he's actively working. We need to certainly see him as actively working to try to hinder fruitfulness in our lives. The second thing that we see clearly from Jesus' interpretation is that trouble comes and affects fruitfulness by itself in verse 17 where Jesus says but since they have no root he's talking about the other the other condition of the soil that's sown on rocky places they hear the word at once they receive it with joy but since they have no root they last only a short time why because trouble or persecution comes because of the word and they quickly fall away so trouble and difficulty and persecution will come, and those things certainly will hinder fruitfulness in the life of a believer. Uh, number three, he tells us that worry and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out fruitfulness in verse 19, uh, because he talks in verse 18 about the seed that is sown among the thorns. They hear the word, but, verse 19, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And he's very specific there about the, the fruitful aspect. Um, and notice, look, this is, this is the worries of life. We can get very worried and anxious and fearful about things. It is, and, and then he adds the deceitfulness of wealth. This is not wealth itself. God doesn't have a problem with people who make good money. It's the deceitfulness of wealth that will cause a person to be unfruitful. When a person believes the, the, the lie, the deception of wealth, to think that they would be happier if they just had more money, that's deceit then they will end up being less fruitful because they will be pursuing something that won't in the end provide the kind of peace and happiness that can only really come through Jesus Christ. So it's the deceitfulness of wealth. It's not wealth itself. And it's a desire for other things. So it's covetousness. It's believing the life that if I just had more, then I'd be happier. And uh, it, is, it is the worries of life, all these things that, that choke out the word, and then our lives are unfruitful. And then finally, he talks here about others in verse 20, who are like seeds sown on good soil. They hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. But notice, he says 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown, which simply tells us this, that even, even the most fruitful person, the most fruitful people will vary in fruitfulness. He says 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So, you know, often when you read his parables where he ends up talking about there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, those are more eternal kinds of salvation parables. But in this case, when he ends it on this, this note of fruitfulness, I think a better interpretation is recognizing that there are some things that will come into our lives as Christians that will hinder or choke fruitfulness, whether it is the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of life, trouble, uh, Satan who comes to try to discourage us, distract us, or tempt us. It can be a variety of things, uh, but we should constantly be pressing into the Lord, and even the most fruitful person will vary in fruitfulness from time to time. So probably more along those lines of uh, being fruitful uh, for the Lord. And then he adds here, verse 21, let's just keep reading, verse 21, and then he said to them, do you bring a lamp? Now, this is connected to the parable we just read. Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, this whole little section here, do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl? King James says under a, a bushel under a basket. This is where that little song came from in your little Sunday school days. You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Don't put it under a bushel. No, 
I'm going to let it shine. You know, and you would teach our little kids that. And it's, it's the idea of, you know, you don't, you don't put a candle, you don't put a lamp underneath a bowl or, or underneath a basket because then it doesn't do its work. It doesn't shine. You know, put it under a bed, it's going to be no good. You put it up on a stand where it can illuminate the room. And so what he's saying on the heels of the parable, he says, look, basically in a nutshell, truth is meant to be revealed, not concealed. Truth is meant to be revealed, not concealed. He says, you've been entrusted with some of the secrets of the kingdom. He's saying to his disciples in the context here, but to all of us in general, he's saying, look, when when you know the things of God, don't conceal it. Reveal it. Let other people know. Illuminate the world with the light of Jesus Christ. And and we should so let our light shine before men that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. That's what Jesus said back in Matthew 5.16. So, you know, we need to be about illuminating the dark world with the good news and the light of Jesus Christ. And so he says, you know, you've been given all of this. Don't don't put it under a, a bowl or a bushel. Put it out on the stand where it can illuminate. Truth should be revealed, not concealed. And he adds in verse 24, Consider carefully what you hear. He continued, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, and, it, and it's from this verse where people will just heap this guilt on you. Like, if you don't use that talent for the glory of God, you're going to lose it. Use it or lose it, because God's going to give it to somebody else. You're going to end up talking like a frog. And God's going to give a good singing voice to somebody else because you're not singing for the glory of God. Now, look, that's not really what it means here, because when you look at the context he's talking about here, you have the lamp, the light of the truth. So don't hide it. And he's saying, be, be a good steward of it, because if you've been given great opportunity to promote and present Jesus wherever you go, you better be doing that, because otherwise God will find somebody else to do that. That's the context of what he's saying here. You've been given a great privilege and responsibility to make Jesus known in the world where you work and where you live and the people you hang with. And if you don't do that, God will use somebody else to bring the good news to your friends and co-workers. But we have this awesome responsibility, and God has measured it unto us to be good stewards of the good news of the gospel, and we should take it wherever we can and be the light of Jesus Christ for a dark world and so that he can be promoted and exalted in the world and so people can know about him. And if we don't do that, God will find somebody else. God will find somebody else. Verse 26, he also said, here's another parable. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, he doesn't interpret this parable for us, but there's a thing, there's a practice in Bible study called expositional constancy. It's just a, a, a big fat phrase that means this. When, when you see something clearly have a meaning in one place, it will be consistent through the text with the same meaning. So when Jesus has already said to us in, in the same chapter here, in the same context, in the same discourse, that the seed that the farmers scattered was the word, that has the same meaning here. That the seed is the word. And the idea here is a man scatters a seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts, and it does its work. In other words, what he's saying in, in a nutshell here is that we, we are the ones who plant the seed of the word, but God makes it grow. The man who scatters the seed, he just is in his daily routine. He goes to bed at night. He gets up the next day. 
And then the seed does its own work. Of course, you know, in any kind of a seed, God has implanted the DNA of that product, uh, of that, of that, um, of that seed so that it germinates with the right conditions and, and God springs life out of seed and he makes it grow. And it's the idea that when the word goes forth, God does his wonderful work and, and we stand back and watch him make it grow. This is the kind of thing that Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He said, I planted the seed, talking about the word. Apollos, his, his uh, partner in ministry, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So we're, we're only called to scatter the seed, to plant the seed. It is God who makes the word do its effective work in the hearts and lives of people. It's God who, who bears fruit as a result of his word going forth. We only plant, but God is the one who makes it grow. Verse 30, he talks about the parable of the mustard seed. There's a little twist here, so... So notice this with me in verse 30. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. And with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. And he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So he went deeper with them privately. But here he talks about the parable of the mustard seed. Now, again, there's debate as to how to interpret this. And some read this as a good thing. And and the idea is that though the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds... That it represents the kingdom of God. He compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. And he says that it, and it grows into this big, incredibly huge plant. And he says, and the birds even come and they perch in its shade. Uh, and so some read this as a wonderful thing. The kingdom of God expanding, you know, and then, and then just how it reaches, you know, everything and everyone who wants to come and uh, perch in its branches. Uh, but, but again, when you use the tool of expositional constancy, this is not a good thing that he's saying here. How do we know? Well, because the object here at the end are the birds. That, that, this, that this mustard seed is the smallest, but it grows into this monstrosity. Now, Matthew, when Matthew talks about this very parable in Matthew chapter 13, he says that the mustard plant grows into a tree. Matthew uses the word tree. Mark doesn't use that word, but he's still given the same idea. This has gotten out of control. This is huge. Now, a mustard seed never grows into a tree. It grows into a large bush, but not this huge thing that is being described by both Matthew and Mark. This is an anomaly. This is a monstrosity. This is something unusual and out of the ordinary. And at the end of the day, Matthew says, and Mark also says in this parable, that birds come. Matthew says birds come and perch in its branches. Mark says they come and rest in its shade. Now, remember, the birds, using that same expositional constancy, the birds was not a good thing. Because when you go back to the first parable, the parable of the sower, and again Jesus says, if you don't get this parable, you won't get the other parables. Okay? He talks about how on one condition of the soils, back in Mark 4, verse 4, that some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. 
Remember that? The birds came and ate it up. Well, when Jesus interprets that first soil condition, that's when he says that Satan comes and snatches the seed. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the book of Mark. More than the other gospel books, Mark seems to have been written in a way that communicates the fast-paced course of Jesus' ministry, helping us realize it was only for a short time. While the book of Matthew focused on proving Jesus as king, Mark focused on Jesus as a servant. Jesus repeatedly displayed his servant's heart through the various miracles he performed, caring for others above himself. Jesus' example of a servant is something that we should be humbled by and should follow in his footsteps by serving others. We'd like to take a step in that direction by serving you in some way. Can we be praying for you? We'd love to know what's on our listeners' hearts. If you're willing to share with us, our email address is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. Come join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online, and you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you'll find additional teachings from this series in Mark and other series. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to hear Pastor Gary on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know